0: You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Behar. It is the ninth portion in the book of Leviticus, the 32nd portion since the beginning of the Torah, and there are only 57 verses, 737 words, and 2,817 letters. There are 24 mitzvahs, seven of them performative, and 17 prohibitions. Incredible Parsha teaching us some very amazing laws. It starts right off with the sabbatical, the Shemitah year. The Torah prohibits all work of fields on the land of Israel on the Shemitah year, on the seventh year. No planting, no harvesting. All produce that grows in the Shemitah year becomes free, and anybody who wants it can just pick and enjoy. After seven cycles of Shemitah, the 50th year, so it's seven times seven is 49, and then is the 50th 50th year, which is, by the way, this year. Last year was Shemitah. This year that we're in right now is the Yovel, is the Jubilee year. It's called Yovel, the Jubilee. In Yovel, the land rests just like Shemitah. All Jewish servants are freed, and all property and land is returned to its original division from the time of Joshua. So we'll see soon when we talk about the important lessons. 50th year, the Yovel year, all contracts, acquisitions of property in the land of Israel go back to their original sale, to their original owners. So if you were to buy a piece of property in the land of Israel next year, you'll own that land for 49 years. It's a 49-year lease because at 50th year, it goes back to its original original owner. Yovel is announced with the sound of the shofar on Yom Kippur. Hashem promises a great reward, a great reward for the observance of the Shemitah, that on the sixth year, the land will produce enough for three years, for the sixth, seventh, and eighth year, when typically they wouldn't grow because they weren't cultivated during Shemitah. So even on the eighth year, there would be incredible produce that came from the sixth year, as a reward. Okay. Then we talk a little bit about the land of Israel. If one becomes poor and sells his ancestral land, they can be redeemed. They can buy back that property after two years. So this means if someone was poor, he owes people money. He needs, he needs to liquidate his assets. So he has land that he got as an inheritance, as part of the inheritance that we got when we arrived to the land of Israel and now he has to sell the land because he has no choice. He's got to pay back his debts. Now he makes back money. He makes he invested in a good business deal, and he wants to buy back his land. So after two years, he can buy back his land, even if the seller doesn't want to sell it. He has rights to buy it back after two years. However, if one sells lands in a walled city, They can only redeem it before the first year anniversary of the sale. The land of the Levites belongs to them forever. And we are forbidden from taking advantage of one another by lending or borrowing with interest. So not only are you not allowed to lend money with interest, you're not allowed to borrow money from another Jew with interest. We'll talk about how we do business today because there there is something called a heter iska, and that allows for it to be a business acquisition, not a loan per se. So we'll talk about that soon. I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll just address it quickly. So basically like this, you have this, by the way, in every single bank in Israel. The banks are owned by Jews. So Jews are not allowed to lend. It's a very black and white law in this week's Parsha. You're not allowed to loan money on interest. You're not allowed to borrow money from another Jew with interest. So what happens if you want to borrow money from another Jew and they want to charge you interest? Because here's the, here's the problem. The rabbis realized that I can invest my, I can loan my money to a non-Jew, to a Gentile, and make interest. I can't loan it to a Jew and make interest. So why should I loan money to a Jew? I'm going to lose money. So there's a couple of things. First is the Torah promises. That Hashem will take care of you. You won't lose that money ever. If you do the right thing, you'll never lose money. That's number one. But number two is as follows is that a Jew can loan you money in the way, in the form of becoming a partner with you in your acquisition. So if you're buying a business and you're borrowing money, you're borrowing a million dollars. So now the money that you're borrowing is not a loan, it's an investment. And then What he gets paid back more than that initial million dollar loan is his investment returns that he's making. And it's a special document that needs to be drawn up. And they have this document in every single bank in Israel. So when you take out a mortgage and you're paying a 4%, a 6% interest on your loan, it's not because they're not, they're violating the Torah, but rather because there's a document right at the entrance of that bank. That says this was drafted by the chief rabbinate of the state of Israel, that every single bank has a partnership investment in your home. And when you pay back, that's the inflation or the, the extra value that's been added to that asset. Okay. We must provide assistance for our impoverished brethren, just as Hashem provides for us. A Jewish servant may not be given demeaning, unnecessary, or excessively difficult work and may not be sold in the public market. If one was sold as a servant or as a result of a debt that they could not repay, right, they're impoverished, the family members should redeem their relatives. The family should also redeem a Jewish slave from a non-Jewish owner. The price of his labor must be calculated according to the amount of time remaining until he will automatically become free at Shemitah or Yovel, whichever comes first, all Jewish slaves go free at the Yovel. And the price of land is similarly calculated. So if you were to buy a land immediately after the Yovel, so then you have it for 49 years. But if you buy it six years before Yovel, you're only buying a land for six years. So it's calculated by how much time is left in this contract. We are forbidden from turning a blind eye from a fellow Jew being mistreated. If you see someone being mistreated, you are obligated by the Torah not to turn a blind eye. Do not erect idols, statues, or pillars. Avoid all forms of idolatry. Our commentaries say the Torah brings these three because these are the three forms that were used, they were very popular to be used as Signs of idols, of idolatry. And then the Torah repeats again, observe my Shabbos, revere my sanctuaries, I am Hashem. And that's how the Parsha concludes. So some important lessons from this week's Parsha. Firstly, the concept of Shabbos, of taking a break. Shabbos means to rest. That's what the word actually means. Lashevet means to sit, but it means to rest. Hashem wants us to take time out. Hashem wants us to not only have a day of rest every week, but Hashem wants us to have a year of rest. Now, what's this whole idea of a rest? It's not only as a physical form of taking a break. It's also a spiritual form of re-energizing. So what Hashem wants us to do during this time, on Shabbos, every week, take some time off to invest in your own spirituality. Take some time to invest in your family, in your relationship, in your with your spouse, with your children, with your community. Take some time off. You don't have to be running all day, all night, after your business, after your livelihood. This is a time Hashem says it's on me. What happens at the sabbatical year? Hashem says it's not a one-day off to invest in your spirituality. It's an entire year off to invest in your spirituality. Why? People were busy all day working hard in their fields, trying to earn a living, trying to get the grains and get the grapes and whatever it is that they were growing in their fields. And now they don't have time to serve Hashem. They don't have time to be busy to cultivate their spiritual components of their life. They're so busy. So they have one year, the sabbatical year where Hashem says, don't touch your fields. You don't touch your fields, and guess what? You're not going to miss out because I'm going to give you a triple crop. You're going to have enough for the sixth year for the seventh year and the eighth year. Don't worry, just invest in our relationship. And I think this is such a fundamental principle in Judaism where Hashem wants a relationship with us more than anything else. Hashem doesn't want us to be puppets. Hashem doesn't want us to be robots. Hashem wants us to live in a real, living relationship with him. Take an entire year off And now, this is, by the way, one of the incredible proofs that the Torah is divine and godly and cannot be a man-made document. Because what man can make such a promise? Moses can't say such a promise that 3,300 years from now, when the Jewish people are living in Israel in 2022, and it's Shemitah, it's the sabbatical year, that Hashem will fulfill such a, that I, Moses, will fulfill such a promise. No, Moses can't say such a thing. But only God can. God, the creator of heaven and earth, can make such a promise. Only God can make such a promise. And it's such an important thing for us to remember. Hashem runs this world. And Hashem says, we'll see in next week's Parsha, Parsha's where Hashem tells us, listen, you follow the rules. We've got some good things coming your way. But if you don't follow the rules, it's going to be harsh. It's not going to be so pretty. Hashem wants us to let go. We are control freaks. We need to be in control of everything. We feel like our destiny is in our hands. And by the way, in our American culture, we're convinced that financial security is the only important thing in life. Is that, oh, are you preparing for retirement? Oh, retirement this, retirement that, because God forbid, if you don't have money, God can't take care of you. He's not, he's not around to take care of you. No, 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 you have to take care of you. It's a big mistake. Hashem is there to take care of you. Yes, it's important for you to prepare and be responsible, but not to believe that it's Kochiva Otsam yadi. it's my strength, it's my planning, it's my abilities that's going to succeed my way. It's not. It's only because Hashem is there to take care of you that he will succeed our way. And our hope and our prayer is that indeed we merit to live that kind of life where we're in the land of Israel and we have that closeness with Hashem we don't have to worry about our crops, we don't have to worry about our income, we don't have to worry about anything other than investing as much as possible in our relationship with Hashem. That's it. Invest in your relationship with Hashem. And that's important for us. To know, you know what, we're not living in the land of Israel right now. We need to invest in our relationship with Hashem. Now, it's an, another important thing is that particularly when people work the land, they have a sense of pride. Look at what I did. Look at my fruits. Look at my labor. Look at what I have done. My fruits. Hashem is reminding us it's not your fruits. It's Hashem's fruits. And particularly those who live in the land of Israel have the privilege of fulfilling this mitzvah of Shemitah, of the sabbatical year. Another thing is that our lands go back, we said, after Yovel, whatever property you sold comes back to you at Yovel, at the Jubilee year, you get it back. It's a reset. It's a hard reset. Everything goes back to its original owners. It's a reminder, a constant reminder. Everything belongs to Hashem. Guess what? We all come to this world and we start acquiring things. We start acquiring and acquiring and acquiring and acquiring. And then comes a time where there's a reset. Where Hashem says, guess what? You're coming back home exactly the way you came here. You came with nothing. You leave with nothing. There's a story that's told. I don't know if it's true or not. But there's a tale that's told about one of the wealthiest Jews who ever lived, the, the uh, Moshe Reichman, who was in Canada, in 1986, I remember seeing the U.S. News and World Report had him on the front cover, him and his brother, as the second wealthiest people on planet Earth. I think they were worth $22 billion at the time. Uh, Shomer Shabba's family from Toronto, Canada. And legend has it that he wrote in, you know, people have two wills. They, one before the funeral, one after the funeral. So, you know, how they should bury them and how this and that. And then after, you know, how they divide up all of their possessions and everything else. So, in his first will, they say that it said, that he said, I'm asking if you can please bury me with my socks. I want to be buried with my socks. We know in Jewish law you can't do that. People are not buried with no special request. So, he asked to be buried like that. No, there's no such thing. They went to the rabbi. He said, Rabbi, what what do we do? He says, You can't do that. You can't fulfill that that request. And they buried him without his socks. After they buried him, they opened up the second will, and he says, you see, even your socks you can't take with you. Just know it's a lesson in life. Even your socks you can't take with you. Nothing. You come with nothing. You leave with nothing. Except for your good deeds. And this is a reminder every 50 years. It's a reminder there's a hard reset. Guess what? Nothing belongs to you. We feel like my house, my car, my clothes, my shoes, my, 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 everything is mine. Let's put things into perspective. Everything is Hashem's. We're living in Hashem's world. Everything that Hashem gifts to us in our lifetime is for us to use to elevate ourselves and to elevate those around us and bring them closer to Hashem. So if Hashem blessed you with financial success, share it. Use it for good things to help your shul, to help your community, to help the sick, to help the poor. Hashem blessed you with other great things. Use it to volunteer. Use it to assist others. There are so many incredible roles that we can play without having money. We can volunteer for organizations. We we can commit our time to visiting sick people. There's so many good things we can do. Hashem is telling us, I gave you good fortune, any level of good fortune. Use it, because there's going to be a time where it's not going to be available for us anymore. There's going to be a hard reset where God says, sorry, there's no more doing. Okay, so it's, it's a reminder of putting us into the frame of mind of what is and what should be our priorities. Another amazing thing we see in this week's parish is the dignity for a Jewish person, and particularly a Jewish slave. You don't give them work that is too difficult. We don't overburden them. We don't give them any demeaning or unnecessary or excessively difficult work. We know we learned this in Parshas Mishpatim, back in Exodus. We talked about if you have one pillow, who gets the pillow? The slave gets the pillow. Preferential treatment for the slave. You know why? He's already humbled enough that he has to work for somebody else. You want to humiliate him more? By now, he doesn't get the pillow. You get the pillow. The Torah is very, very sensitive to people's feelings. In fact, in this week's Parsha, we have a special commandment. Don't cause pain to your fellow Jew. Don't cause pain. Do you know what that means, not to cause pain? That means even saying, Something snarky to someone. Giving someone a comment. Eh, we're just kidding around. No, 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 that can hurt somebody's feelings. There's a biblical commandment in the Torah. Lo sonu ishes amisecha, Do not hurt your fellow man. You're saying something disparaging. Something that's like, you know, just one of those sharp lines. No, no, no. It's causing someone else pain. You're not allowed to do it. The, the Torah prohibits us from causing any, for afflict, from afflicting any pain on our fellow Jew. Such an incredible commandment. Imagine you go to court and you say, Judge, this person insulted me. They're guilty of insulting me. They'll say, what do you, what do you mean? They hurt my feelings. My feelings were hurt because of them. They said something that was disparaging. They said something that embarrassed me in public. Imagine that. Hashem in the heavenly courts counts that. Hashem counts that. Yeah, the judge, district judge here in, in Harris County is not going to care. The county judge is not going to care. But Hashem, the judge of all judges, the king of all kings, takes that into consideration. Losonu ish Don't cause pain. <laughs> look, if you weren't such a bad driver, then you wouldn't, t- it's hurtful. Don't say it. It's hurtful to someone else. Don't say it. Yeah, but it's true. They have to learn. Don't hurt your fellow man. Don't hurt your fellow man. But there's going back to the slave. There's a certain dignity. That even someone who's a slave, what's the problem? He shouldn't have borrowed so much money. He shouldn't have owed so much money. He should have been more responsible. You still preserve the dignity of another human being. Yeah, he's in prison. What's the big deal? He should learn. Preserve their dignity. You know, they say that the highest percentage, group categories of of people who commit suicide are white-collar criminals. The guy was a millionaire. He was a CEO of a company and ran into some troubles with the law. Was put into prison. Till now, everyone would come to his office. Oh, Mister So and So, we'd like some of your advice. You know, we're running a department of our hospital and we need some of your. Wisdom, and you know, they obviously get a 20 million dollar donation from the guy's CEO. Everyone's coming to ask for advice, and everyone's like, Our museum, you know, we're, we're thinking of like, we need some of your help. You know, it's like everyone's coming for wisdom, everyone's coming for his advice. Suddenly, he was convicted for fraud or for whatever it is. He's sitting in his cell. and Suddenly, nobody cares about his wisdom. Suddenly, he's not worth anything to anybody. And he's like, nobody comes to visit, nobody comes to ask, nobody comes to consult. It's very painful. They feel like they're worthless. And it's a very, very, very tragic thing that that group, that category of people, that life isn't worth anything to them anymore because they, they see that they, they have no value. And that's a very terrible thing. The Torah tells us we need to be sensitive to other people and make sure to maintain their dignity. Maintain their dignity. We are meant to be servants of Hashem and not to others. The verse tells us in this week's parsha, you're meant to be a servant to me. You remember, I took you out of Egypt, God says. I took you out of Egypt. Therefore, be a servant to me, not a servant to other servants. And that's why there's a reset. And we know, remember again from parsha mishpatim, if someone says, I like my master. I want to go stay by my master. And one second, you're supposed to go free after seven years. You're supposed to go free. He doesn't want, he says, I still want to stay here. They take him to the doorpost, right next to the mezuzah, and they drill his ear. Why? You say, just tell us, the same ear that heard at Mount Sinai, be a servant to Hashem, alokecha, you should be a servant to Hashem. That same ear didn't hear the, the, the message and now wants to be a servant to a servant? That's unacceptable, and that, that, that is their punishment. No interest. Why? Torah says, you know why you don't charge interest to your fellow man? Ani Hashem. Because I am Hashem. say, just tell us, Hashem is in charge. You think you need to charge interest because how am I going to make money? How am I going how, how to grow my net worth if I don't charge interest? Hashem says, Ani Hashem. I am the God. I'm the one who gives you wealth. I'm the one who gives you success. I will repay your losses. You help out your fellow Jew. I will repay your losses. That's my job. Ani Hashem. The reminder. Don't worry. You think everything's about your net worth and everything's about the bottom line. Ani Hashem. I help with that bottom line. Don't worry. You do the right thing and you don't charge interest. I'll get you a better deal that'll come your way. You'll make more profits than you could have made with that interest. You'll you'll make much more. The problem is that if someone someone says, then I've I've heard people say this. I'm like, look how Hashem took care of you. Like, no, that that came because I was I went to the show and I was in. I introduced myself and I went out there. It's all me. It's like the guy who's driving around New York City, he's about to close the deal, he's trying to find a parking spot, he says, Hashem, please, Hashem, please help me find a parking spot. He says, you know what, God, you find me a parking spot, I'll give 10% to charity right away. From whatever I profit from this deal, 10% goes right away to charity. Goes around the block again and again, he can't find a parking spot, he says, God, you know what, 20%, 20% and it's yours, 20%. Suddenly, suddenly, a car pulls out right in front of him, and He's able to park right there. He says, God, forget it. Never mind. I found it myself. Right? It's a joke, right? Yeah. But the idea is, is that we feel like it's all us. And the idea is we have to remember. We have to constantly remind ourselves. Hashem is the one who is in control. There's another reminder to keep the Shabbos. How many times? I mean, in the past portions, since Parshas so since we read the Ten Commandments, we have, again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Another reminder, after another reminder, observe my Shabbos, observe my Shabbos. We have to understand that Shabbos is the most important ingredient in Judaism. It makes our time holy. It makes our week holy. It makes our body holy. It makes our food holy. It makes our family holy. Shabbos is the most incredible time. It's We go into a new realm of existence with the observance of Shabbos. And that's why there's a constant reminder. And my dear friends, my fellow listeners, any step that a person can take in the observance of Shabbos is cherished by the Almighty. If it's lighting Shabbos candles at the right time, and if it's reciting Kiddush on a glass of wine, if it's having two chalas, if it's setting our table, if it's having Friday night dinner, Whatever, you know what, Rabbi, I'm not there yet. I'm not, that's fine. God didn't say, God, Judaism is not about all or nothing. Judaism is not about all or nothing. It's taking an appropriate step, one small step for mankind. Hashem wants us to take a small step, but to take a step. And then the Parsha ends off with revere my sanctuaries and how beautiful, our sages tell us that when we learn two things, two different things, and they coincide, it's a special kiss from heaven. Last week in our Living Jewishly podcast, we discussed the holiness and the reverence that one needs to have for the synagogue. And in this week's Parsha, that is the exact commandment that we brought last week in our Living Jewishly segment is what's brought in this week's Parsha, Revere My Sanctuaries. and That is that every place that is holy, a study hall, which we're in right now, or a synagogue. It's a place that we have to recognize Hashem's shechina resides there. Hashem loves those places because this is a place of connection. When someone goes to a synagogue, it's not a place where we can, oh, let's convert our synagogue into a ballet uh, studio. No, 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 it's a synagogue. This is where we pray. And it needs to remain sanctified. It needs to remain holy. And not only that, we learned it last week in the Living Jewishly podcast that we need to be careful not to speak idle chatter in synagogue. Not to just, oh, I'm just catching up with my friends. Great to see them. You can do that in the hallway. You can do that in the entranceway. You don't do that in the synagogue. The synagogue is a place which is dedicated to our connection with the Almighty. And it's important for us to always remember that Hashem is right there waiting to talk to us, waiting to, to to engage with us. As Rabbi Brody said, he was just here last week, spoke so beautifully, he said, Hashem doesn't come to dinner unwelcomed, uninvited. You have to invite Hashem in. In our lives, we have to invite Hashem in. And we'll see next week's parsha, Parsha's Bechukosai. we'll see exactly how that invitation is important for us to extend to Hashem. My dear friends, this concludes Parsha's Bihar. Have a great Shabbos. Last year was the first time in many thousands of years that the majority of the land in the land of Israel kept Shemitah, kept the sabbatical, the first time. There's a big organization called Karen Hashvias. Karen Hashvias, what they do is they raise money, a tremendous amount of money from people around the world. And I know people who are giving millions and millions of dollars towards this to help the farmers with what they're missing out they're missing out an entire year of income and this is what hashem is sending hashem is sending success to people who are able to support these people to support these farmers and they were sending money to these farmers so that they don't miss out a year of their livelihood that's number one All right, an amazing thing right Slaves. No, no, no. So, so if, if someone owed money and they weren't able to repay it, so they were sold as a slave to repay it, right? Because someone pays for them to be their, their servant. And and the family's job was to say, you know what? Well, you needed that $5,000. We're going to pay that $5,000 so that you're a free person and you don't have to be uh, undignified in in being a slave for someone else. It's the obligation on the family. I'm I'm not familiar with them selling the land to the army. I will tell you. I tell you there there is something very very special that they do that they do in Israel now is because I want to observe the the laws of Shemitah. I want to have the merit of owning land in Israel so that I can observe the Shemitah. So what the landowners do, and this is also a source of income to them, is that they sell their land. Okay, so they'll sell sell like let's say you need to have a certain uh, a certain volume of land in order to, uh, for it to apply uh, that you're, uh, you know, observing the Shemitah. And people will buy pieces of land from the farmers so that they too can observe the laws of Shemitah. It's, it's a big thing. People are like, you want to own part of the land of Israel so that you can fulfill that you're not working the land. It's a special mitzvah, right? I don't know land in Israel, so I'll never perform this mitzvah. No, no, no. You can have... Right? And and they do that, then it's it's an it's an amazing thing. People spend a lot of money to buy land in Israel so that they can observe the Shemitah. It's such an incredible mitzvah. So just a, a quick a quick review of that is that today in the land of Israel, the majority of the land of Israel is observing the laws of Shemitah. And that brings tremendous, tremendous blessing to the land of Israel. Okay, there's another thing that I forgot to mention. Is that in the beginning of this week's Parsha, right? Where are the Jewish people right now when this Parsha is being taught to the Jewish people? They're at Mount Sinai still. The Jewish people are still at Mount Sinai and they're talking about Shemitah, which is in the land of Israel that's going to happen 40 years later. So the, Rashi asks, he says, What's the story of Shemitah have to do with the people at Mount Sinai? Sinai is not part of the land of Israel. They're going to be in the land of Israel only 40 years later. So what are you telling them about Shemitah now? Tell me that then. Don't tell it to me now. It's not applicable now. Say, just tell us that by learning the laws that are not applicable to you yet, it's as if you fulfilled them. For example, the offerings. Are you going to bring an offering? I'm never going to bring an offering ever because I'm not a Kohen. I can never bring an offering, but you know what? by reciting the chapters of the offerings, it's as if you've brought an offering on the temple, in the temple. It's like you've done the service today. Even a Kohen doesn't do it. You can with the by learning the laws of it, by learning the Talmud about it, by learning all of the things about those offerings. It's as if you've brought So you want to bring a thanks offering, a thanksgiving offering to Hashem. Read the verses about it. Read the portion about it. It's as if you've brought it. All right.